If you remember back, we used to be in a facility just down the road, and there was, or is, there is an addiction center right next door to our old, to our old building. And um, about a year and a half, two years ago, the director of that addiction center invited myself to come and, and be at the addiction center to provide Christ-centered hope to the people in that addiction center. It's a secular facility, but this director really wanted, uh, as a Christian, he really wanted some, uh, someone to share Jesus with the people there. And I really wasn't sure what to expect. There was no program, there was no, there was very little communication. And, and so I, I just showed up and I'll, I'll say this, most of the time, people were very respectful, very welcoming. Um, once in a while, things got a little hostile um, as, as I tried to share Jesus. But here's the thing that I've learned in my year and a half or so there is that the most common question we get or objection has to do with the issue of suffering. It goes something like this. If God is good and all-powerful, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? It's a fair question. It's a question that we all ask at some point in our lives. I mean, I think about in my own life, I think... My own father was one of the gentlest, most kindest men I ever known. Why did he have to suffer the indignity of a slow death via dementia? Um, I think of some close friends that lost their home in one of the fires this summer. I think, why did God allow that to happen? Why does God allow extremists who call themselves Christians to, to blow up buildings with little kids inside? Why does God permit things like genocide in Rwanda or the Holocaust in Germany? And why does he allow the destruction of millions of yet unborn children in our country? You know, those are hard questions to answer, but it gets even harder when that suffering comes for you or someone you love. It becomes very personal. The, the question changes from why to why me? And as I've listened to the stories of the people in the addiction center, I've learned that most of those people in that addiction center have suffered significantly. I mean, it's just a common, common theme that we hear every week. And because we live in a fallen world, all of us experience suffering. The question isn't whether we will suffer, right? The question is the intensity and the, de the degree to which we will suffer. As one author said, he said it this way, suffering raises the deepest questions of life, of meaning, of reality, of truth. So it's natural for us to ask questions regarding suffering. In fact, it's unnatural not to ask about this topic. And our natural response to suffering reveals something that I think is important. Our natural 
response and instinct to suffering reveals something very important. It reveals that there's something really wrong with this world. The presence of suffering in the world is one of the great mysteries of life, and both Christians and non-Christians face the problem of suffering. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian, we all face the problem of suffering experientially. However, I'm gonna say this. As Christians, the problem is even more significant or intense or heightened. Why would I say that? Why would I say that as Christians, the problem of suffering in this world is even more problematic for us? Yeah, Russ. Yeah, absolutely. It's more problematic for us as Christians because we believe that God is both good and all-powerful, right? So we want to be able to, to ask and answer these questions. So that leads to the purpose of our study. Why are we about to study evil and suffering? And one reason is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Um, what did I do with my copy of God's word? Here we go. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Basically, that text tells us to be prepared to make a defense. That's one reason for this study, so that we can be prepared to make a defense. Let me try to get there, if I can remember where. It's in the New Testament, right? Back of the book? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and 15 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Okay? So we're commanded to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that, was it, that is in you. That, that word there, well, first of all, I should say that command occurs in the context of suffering. The book of 1 Peter, if you're familiar with that book, really the whole book involves suffering. Beginning in chapter 2 and on through the rest of the the letter, this command occurs in the context of suffering. And Peter instructs this, these suffering churches to, number one, make a defense. That word defense, if you're familiar with the Greek term there, it's apologia. It's the word from which we get the term apologetics, right? And it means to make a reasoned statement. Right? To give a reasoned, thought out response. And so we need to think through this topic of suffering from a biblical perspective so that we can give a reasoned statement or a reasoned response. 
It also says not only just to make a defense or a reason statement, but it also says that we want to speak about why we have hope for a remedy to suffering. Okay? So we want to do both of those things. We want to give a reason statement, and we want to give reasons for the hope that there is a remedy to suffering. And then it says our methodology should be with what? How should we do that? With gentleness and respect. Yeah. So one purpose for this study is to help prepare us to make a defense and give a reason for the hope that is in you and then do it with gentleness and respect. But that's not the only purpose of this study. Because it's not only important for us to give a response to a watching world, but when suffering comes for us personally, we must answer these questions about suffering for ourselves. And so the second reason, or the other reason for this study is found, again, in 1 Peter. It's a book on suffering. And really, the other reason for this study is so that we can be prepared personally and collectively as the church. Right? We're needy and needed. We're not lone rangers. Right? So we want to be prepared personally to respond to suffering, and we want to be prepared to help one another in our suffering. So 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13 says this, Beloved, hmm, just let that sit for a second. You're loved. Beloved. You're loved by Christ right now. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we need to be prepared for suffering personally and we need to prepare to care for one another in our suffering. In one sense, I'll say this, so we need to be prepared, but in one sense, no amount of preparation will completely prepare you, right? Let's just say that up front. We all tend to be surprised by suffering, right? Like, what is happening? We become disoriented in our faith, doubts creep in, questions are raised, so we'll never be completely prepared to face suffering. Yet we prepare as best we can by not avoiding this difficult topic. So we can never be fully prepared, and yet we want to be realistic as well, because the Bible says a lot about suffering. We'll never, it doesn't answer completely every single question on suffering, but it does say a lot. So we need that balance. We need to be prepared. The Bible says a lot about it, but we need to be realistic. We're never going to get all our answers, all our questions answered. There's mystery. And so here's, so one author said this. He said, I do not think the Bible gives anything like a definitive answer to every question on suffering. I'll say that again. 
I do not think the Bible gives anything like a definitive answer to every question on suffering. But the Bible does speak of suffering often. It shows us how to view suffering and it points to specific ways in which God uses suffering. So the Bible does speak to suffering. It gives some answers, but never complete and comprehensive. I like how one pastor put it as far as suffering personally. He said, life is never as simple as the theological formulas were given to reconcile the goodness of God, the power of God, and the presence of evil. Even if our Christian friends are right, their answers may not be helpful. What do you think he means by that? I mean, here we are, we're gonna talk about suffering, we're gonna look at the Bible, you know, we might have a lot of correct answers. What do you think he means by that? Life is never as simple as a theological formula. That's right. Say more. What, what, what do you think he means by that? We can intellectually understand it. But when it comes to the fires and trials of life and applying them, you, you know, Job, after all of those calamities that are beyond what we can understand, yeah. comprehend, what did he do? He worshiped God. And that's what he knew to be right. And so we can not necessarily gain our comfort at times. I mean, it's good to have loving Christian brothers and sisters around us. We need to seek God, and he will make us understand this. He has shared in our sufferings. Yeah, that's good. And I think this is an opportunity for us to maybe share in his, yeah. he did on our behalf. Yeah. Good, Neil. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the book of Job, think about the structure of the book of Job. Like, first two chapters, Job's life unravels, right? Death of his, of his kids, loses all his wealth, loses all his health. Think about the structure. How many chapters between when that happens and when God shows up? Like 30, 30 some. Like there's a lot of wrestling with God that Job does. And, and, and it, it required him to wrestle with God personally. You know, it wasn't just a couple of theological. So, so what I'm trying to say is, yes, the Bible does speak to suffering. We're going to talk about some of those things. But in our own lives, it's never as straightforward. And when we're trying to help other people, it's so hard because sometimes people aren't looking for an answer, you know? And sometimes they're not ready for an answer, but sometimes you can say one thing and just because of how the Lord has worked, the penny drops and it's helpful. So, so it requires lots of, Wisdom, and I love what Neil said, that's where we're gonna head today, is really what we need more than a theological formula is we need a person to come to us in our suffering. And we need a person 
to remedy our suffering. So I think that's what this pastor is talking about. So like I said, we're going to try to balance answers the Bible provides with wisdom and, and pastoral care. And hopefully that'll, that tone will permeate what we do here on Sunday morning. Yeah, again, the, the, this, this pastor with that quote, he says about pain, he says, you know, when you or someone you love is suffering, their pain isn't a riddle to be solved. It's not a riddle to be solved. It's an experience to be processed. Pain isn't a question to be answered. Pain is a journey to be traversed and endured. And so again, the Bible speaks to suffering. We'll talk about that. But um, we need great wisdom to be people who care well for one another. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay. You're saying, John, you're talking too much, man. Just, I get it. I get it. Move on. Okay, let's move on. Here we go. So for better or for worse, I was going to try and do like questions on suffering and then deal with some of these topics here, like this fall. I was going to try to do all that in like 10 weeks. And the more I thought about it, I thought, man, that's just going to be really hard. So here's my plan. This fall, we're going to tackle a lot of the why questions. You know, why is there suffering, suffering in God, God's sovereignty? Talk about Job. Um, And then why do Christians suffer? How, How does the Bible speak to these issues? Then as we get to the winter, we'll talk more about the how. Like how do we walk through um, suffering? How do we do that? We'll talk about the Psalms and suffering. I want to talk about suffering in the local church. Um, and I do want to talk about suffering and mental health. Um, and, then, and then in the spring, we'll get down to some of these specific um, challenges that we have as we walk in a fallen world. Um, I remember doing, I I, kind of hesitate to talk about medications. The last time I did that, um, it didn't go really well. There were people that were upset with me. Um, But I figured, you know what, We, we, we should talk about it anyway. So we'll do our best to traverse that topic as well. Okay, so that's kind of where we're headed. Um, questions on that? You okay? Yeah. Just a comment. Yeah. What really encourages me, the Bible says that Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Yes. And he knows what where we hurt, when yeah. we have questions. Yeah. And he's the only one that can step in and truly understand. And I love him for that. Yes. And as you've walked through significant suffering, um, yeah, it's about a person. Yes. So I, I hope, you'll, you can keep me accountable. I hope that's going to be our focus. Yeah, good. Yeah, all right. So as Christians, we can engage in a study of suffering because the Bible, hear me say it, the Bible is the book on suffering. Now, I haven't studied the Quran or the Book of Mormon, I haven't really studied all those, but as best as I can tell, like the Bible of any book addresses the topic of suffering 
more comprehensively and consistently. Why do you think that I can say that the Bible is the book on suffering? Why do you think I can say that? Like, think about the content of it. Like, think about suffering in the Old Testament. Just think of, what do we read in the Old Testament about suffering? This is where you participate. <laughs> yes, leave them. God is the creator, but also he was there the Yeah, right. So, so the Bible speaks to why there's suffering at all. Yeah, in the fall. We'll talk about that more next week. Yeah, okay. So the Bible speaks to the origin of suffering, if you will. Yeah, Dan. It's God's word. God knows everything about everything. And he can speak to the subject of suffering better than anyone because of his omniscience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. God is the all-wise, all-knowing, all-good person, right? And so he can speak to it. Well, wisely, comprehensively, yeah, very good. Yeah, Stacey. Uh, so, and throughout the, you know, people are constantly crying out, or they're suffering, telling God they're suffering, and at the, usually always at the end, it's but God. Yeah. But God was there in my suffering. God yeah. met me. God rescued me. God was my. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 read about many specific people, historical figures, people of God, people that knew God, loved God, that suffered significantly in the Old Testament. Here's, a, here's one example, like the life, Joseph. Remember Joseph? Did he suffer? Yes. Yeah. Shackles. Yeah. Sold as a slave, beat up, rejected by his brothers. Okay. Um, Alicia, did you want to say There's more, there's more themes of suffering. So you mentioned, you know, you're, you're, you're talking, I mean, if we think about Israel, slavery, right, in Egypt, um, wilderness wandering, um, exile, yeah, great, great suffering. Job, we've mentioned him. The Psalms, we, we encounter uh, we, we encounter people that, that were crying out to the Lord and, and have their songs, um, have their songs of lament, if you will, preserved for us, which is super helpful. And then the prophets as well. I mean, you think of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? Yeah. 
So in the Old Testament, we see suffering throughout. What specific kind of suffering do we encounter in the New Testament? Alicia, you kind of talked about the, the continuity in Isaiah with the coming Messiah. Yeah. What other kind of suffering in, in the New Testament? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Book of Romans. The, the whole creation is groaning, right? Waiting to be, waiting to be restored or redeemed. You know, just like this, just like us with coming resurrection. Very good. Yeah. And the. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. After Jesus ascended? Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we see that in the book of Acts. In the Gospels, we see... We see men and women who are broken, you know, that need healing, that need forgiveness, that, you know, yeah, yeah, very good. Yes, Neil. Jesus, who was without sin, experienced accusations, um, suffered on our behalf, and that was without sin, and none of us can say that, even if accused of things that we're not, uh, we haven't done, or whatever it might be. None of us are without sin. We also have our other sins that we can... Yeah. Um, and he was without any sin. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Completely undeserved yes. suffering. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah. So we, 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 we see suffering throughout the Gospels. We, we see it in the book of Acts, as we've mentioned. We see it in the churches, the letters to the churches. Obviously, the apostles, the, the various disciples followers of Jesus, and then we see it in Jesus himself. And I'm going to say we see the surprising suffering of Jesus, the Messiah, and the Son of God. Why would I say that's surprising? Why is the suffering of Messiah Jesus surprising? Russ? His whole ministry was by Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's constantly focused on helping others, relieving others, and yet, as, as we've talked, sinless, and he experiences great suffering. Yeah, why else would it be surprising? He's God. Okay, say more. He's God. We put in the whole equation, why is there suffering if God is perfect and powerful and loving? He's God, he's suffering. Yeah. It's reconciled to him, not Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah, so he's God. Yes? I don't want to talk a lot, but my heart is so full. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. I'm with you forever. Yeah. So whatever we go through, he hurts with us because he took it all. Yes. That is a beautiful Savior. Yes, it is a beautiful Savior. Yes, amen. 
So I think one of the reasons I want to maybe underscore the surprising suffering of Jesus, his suffering to us doesn't appear very problematic. Like we're just used to the fact that Jesus, you know, the eternal son of God took on flesh, stepped into this world and, and suffered. But here's what I want you to think about today. To the original followers of Jesus, the suffering of the Messiah was a huge stumbling block. Like, I think, I think James, you're, you're kind of getting there like, okay, so God's going to take on flesh. What did they think about the coming Messiah? What was that? What did they expect him to be like? It's going to be a glorious restructuring of the world and there were going to be a peace. Yep. Yep. Jesus is going to come and kick butt and restore, right? Boom. So, so the fact that Messiah Jesus comes and suffers was a huge stumbling block to the early church. And we don't, I, I think we're just, we don't really think about that very often. In fact, if you remember the crucial moment in Matthew uh, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, if you want to turn there, you can. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of paraphrase what's going on there. You remember, it, it really is kind of a turning point in the gospel of Matthew. I think they're up at Caesarea Philippi, if memory serves, right? And Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? And what, how did they respond? Yeah, but before that, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, maybe Elijah, maybe John the Baptist reincarnated, maybe one of the prophets. And then he said, well, who do you guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, exactly. And then we read in Matthew 16, 21 through 25, right after Peter says that, Jesus says, he basically says, okay, here's what's gonna happen to me, the Messiah, the son of God, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be hated by the chief priests, ultimately, you know, mocked, killed, crucified, right? And how did Peter respond to that? You remember how Peter responded? What did he say? Yeah. Yeah, I think I got it here. He said, oh no, Lord, that will never happen to you. Like, like that was totally not expected of the Messiah to suffer. Why do you think, I guess we already talked about it. I was going to ask you why you think this expectation of the Messiah coming excluded suffering. And I think we, we said the idea was this, this, this Messiah was going to come as a conquering king and set everything right. Boom. Right now. Yeah, Ross. The other thing is, God is so amazingly wise in all of the sacrifices of the animals and all that were leading up to this, and yet nobody got it. Nobody, nobody figured out why, why those things were happening for the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus would have to be the Lamb of God 
And nobody got it. Peter didn't get it. None of us got it. But this was going to have to happen in order to have real forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, in fact, if you read, Jesus foretells what's going to happen multiple times. And you read the disciples, and typically the response is, yeah, they just they didn't understand. They just didn't get it. Afterwards, then, through the Holy Spirit, we see, you know, like you said, Isaiah 53, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah, but the expectation, that just was not on on the radar. And so Peter says, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And how does Jesus respond to him? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because you're setting your focus on the things of man, not on the things of God. Wow. Like, okay, so so the things of God include a suffering Messiah. And then it's interesting because right after that, if we keep reading, yeah, apparently the things of God are a suffering Messiah before there's a glorified Messiah. And if we keep reading right after that, Jesus says this while we read this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here's the point. We worship a suffering, crucified, and now resurrected king in that order. Following Jesus involves first a cross before we get the crown. That's the pattern. And the implication, I think, of this text, I think what Jesus is basically saying is, if the Son of God, the Messiah, came and suffered, well, you're going to suffer too. You're going to suffer also. I want to I end our time together today and, and basically look briefly at John chapter 11. Because in a way, this passage, like if you, if you only came to this class today and you never come back, I want you to come back. But if you don't, again, this doesn't answer every single question, but it does kind of summarize, I think, what the Bible says about suffering. John 11. You remember the story, you know, the story of Lazarus, the sisters send word to Jesus, you know, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick, and Jesus delays coming. He delays going to Lazarus, and when he finally arrives, Lazarus is dead. And the focus, what, what this passage teaches us is that God cares. It teaches us two things. God cares about our suffering and God acts to defeat our suffering. God cares and God acts. And so in John 11, we see a God who enters the pain of our world and he fully understands the awful results of death. Jesus arrives at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, like I said, four days after Lazarus's death. And he finds family and friends mourning with the sisters 
And John, in uh, chapter 11, verses 33 through 35, describes the scene like this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we read, Jesus wept. Jesus is moved by the awful pain of separation, by the awful pain of the separation of death. And his response shows that God cares about our suffering. He weeps. And he, he weeps for a couple of reasons. First, he weeps because he's moved with compassion. The Bible from the beginning to the end tells us that God hates evil in all of its manifestations. And so Jesus weeps because he, he knows the effects of evil and suffering and death is a great evil. So he weeps for those who are grieving over their loss. Jesus is with us in our pain and Jesus is with you today in your pain. So one reason, one reason that Jesus weeps is because he's filled with compassion. The other reason that Jesus weeps is because he hates death. In fact, the word they're used for, uh, one of the used words that for, for Jesus weeping describes the angry snort of a horse. And, and so Jesus' tears are tears of rage and anger at death. For Jesus, death isn't normal, but an awful reminder that there's something really, really wrong with this world. And you know the story, it wasn't always that way. When God created the world, there was no death. God created humans for communion. He created us to receive love and to give love, to respond in love to him, to our creator and those around us. But you remember, Adam and Eve chose life apart from God. They chose to ignore and reject God. They chose life apart from God. And their, their choice has consequences. Sin, suffering, death. And you might say, well, wait a minute, John. Why, why should their choice affect me? Right? Why should their choice affect me? And the answer is because we all do the same thing. We all ignore and reject God. We want our way, our will when we want it, we're all broken rebels. And so what we learn is that there's something really wrong out there and there's something really wrong in here. So Jesus, he weeps because he cares about what's wrong with this world. And he stepped into our world to experience pain, suffering, 
and the destruction that sin brought into the world. He experienced that. That's the, that's the surprising thing, that God would take on flesh and he would be willing to experience that. I can't imagine uh, leaving the comforts of my home. In fact, usually that's what I want to do is just be comfortable, right? I don't want to go and step into suffering and pain. But that's what God is like. He did that. So, so he weeps because he cares. Now, it's great that he cares, but it would be even better if he did something about it. Right? And that's really the second thing we see in this, pa- in this passage. The good news is that God cares and God acts to do something about suffering. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, we read this. Well, let me, let me just say this. The central message of the Bible is that God cares and that God does something about sin, suffering, and death. And, and we see that kind of summarized here in John chapter 11. And then Jesus is responding to Martha and he says this to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, or though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who live, lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? So Jesus says, he, he said these words in response to Lazarus' sister, Martha. Remember, Martha had said, Lord, if you would have been here, you could have prevented this. You could have done something about it. She believed that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus's death. And when Jesus told her that Lazarus would rise again, Martha believed it. But Jesus wants Martha and every one of us to see something even more profound. He wants us to see that he's the very source of all life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a claim of divinity and power. And what we learn in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that God in the flesh uses his power to take on suffering, to take on death, to take on sin, to free us, to to remedy that suffering. So Jesus took our sin on himself and experienced death in our place that we might be freed from death. And we know that Jesus defeated death. Why? Because he was raised on the third day. He defeated death. That's the good news. He will never die again. Jesus proved he was the resurrection and the life. And so in Martha's grief, pain, and confusion, Jesus offers hope by declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. And he calls on her to respond by asking, do you believe this? And he's asking that same thing of each of us this morning. Do you believe this? So that's the central message of the Bible. In Jesus, we see that God cares and God does something about suffering. In this passage, we're not given a theological formula to answer our suffering, but we're given a person who knows our suffering, walks with us in our suffering, and has done something about our suffering. 
in the person of Jesus Christ, we have hope. And not the kind of hope we typically think of, like, I hope that's going to happen. No, we have biblical hope, like confidence that suffering, your suffering, my suffering, your suffering will not have the last word. Jesus' resurrection will have the last word. So I heard a song yesterday and I had it on, you know how you hear one of those songs and you just kind of repeat it? I was repeating this and I don't know if these words will make sense, but kind of the chorus of this song is called Christ is Lower Still. And um, if you don't know what that means, you can come talk to me afterwards and I'll try to give you an interpretation of it. But basically the chorus goes like this. Let the king descend, living word made flesh. Lift this heavy heart to your throne, O God. In his wounds I find room for all of mine. When from grace I fell, Christ is lower still. That means however bad our sin is, however bad our suffering is, Christ is lower still. He's he's deeper to lift us up out of those things. Okay, well, that's our introduction today. Next week, we're gonna talk about why is there suffering. We'll focus on Genesis three. And then in a couple weeks, Lord willing, we'll talk about suffering and God. And again, you can keep me accountable. I don't want this to be mere head knowledge. We want Jesus to come and minister to us in our midst. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we, we thank you that you care for us, Lord. We thank you that even now, whether we feel like it or not, For those of us that are in Christ, you love us completely and you promise to come and remake this world and to defeat all of our pain. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. Thank you that we get to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Uh, yeah, if you have any questions, I'll try to answer. Thank you. Thanks for being here.